0: Hey everybody, welcome to our podcast called Sex in the Bull City. This is Dr. Sophia Caudill, and I am saying hello from Durham, North Carolina, and we're excited to be here. I'm with my esteemed colleague and friend, Matt Kreiner.
1: Yes, hello listeners, glad to be with you today.
0: Yeah, we're excited to be here today, and today we're going to do some piggybacking on our last last podcast topic about what is intimacy. And we're gonna talk about um, detached connection and boundaryed intimacy, and we'll get all into that in a couple of minutes. And we're really excited to be digging deeper into this concept about intimacy, because what we see here is that there's just, there's so many people, and probably us included until we really started learning more about this work, that um, really see and we're exposed to intimacy just meaning sex. And it's so great to be able to, to share with couples and teach people all the different ways that we can be intimate that really maybe have very little to do with sex. There's so many great bonding behaviors out there, but there's also ways that we can connect that are unhealthy. And so we're going to be talking about some ways to be helping ourselves and our relationship today.
1: Yeah, thanks for getting us started in that way. So this conversation comes on the heels of our last episode which was a lot of fun to be a part of because we got to dig into this topic of just what is intimacy? What does it mean to be intimate? How what are the ways that this experience shows up in our lives and we talked about how it's a foundational need and how we need to be present and we need to be honest and feel safe. And um, that was that was a really lovely conversation. And we noticed it, it kind of really just begged for for this topic, the follow-up of, okay, so if we understand kind of what healthy intimacy looks like, well, how do we cultivate it? And especially, how do we cultivate it in the presence of kind of what our bread and butter is, what our specialties are, dealing with addiction. How do we, cultivate, how do we repair and, and cultivate healthy intimacy in the presence of addiction, in the presence of uh, betrayal trauma? You know, So that's kind of what sets up this conversation for us, and there's, there's a lot to get to, um, but I appreciate you naming those, these big ideas for us up front. So you're going to hear us talk about these two terms called detached connection, and you're going to hear us talk about boundaryed intimacy. And these are terms we use quite a bit with folks who have these as, as therapeutic goals that, that we're working with. And the way I usually like to start to set the scene for these topics is, is basically to acknowledge that um, the basics can kind of sound counterintuitive. Because the way I have this conversation with, with folks quite a bit, it sounds like what I'm trying to say is you need to separate in order to grow closer together. And that can be a really tough thing to uh, to understand and internalize and really live, uh, you know, in practice with people. But it's absolutely true. And we're going to talk about it a handful of times today. But it's also the the idea that, you know, we're going to talk about boundaries and what it's like to to name and to hold and, and to live a boundaried way. Um, and we're going to talk about how that can feel kind of counterintuitive, too, because it's really scary up front. But it actually deepens our connection with people when we're boundaryed. It's actually easier and more satisfying to be in relationship with people who are boundaryed, um, even though it seems like initially. Well, if I'm just kind of easy breezy with what I'll tolerate behaviorally, maybe that'll make me easier to be in relationship with. That's not actually how we work. Everybody loves boundaries. Yeah. You know, it makes me think of like when when we're parenting children. You know, they're gonna fight to do what they want to do. They actually love and will thrive with structure.
0: Structure and you boundaries, know? yeah. That's,
1: and, and that's really, the details change, but that idea is present with all of us throughout the lifespan. So um, I, the idea that kind of made sense to me to really start diving into this with y'all was to kind of set the scene of something that we see very uh, typically, very frequently here with our work and, and our populations, which is basically this typical experience in a heteronormative couple where the male is the addict, and the female is is the partner who's experienced, you know, the traumatic experience of being partnered with an addict. And we have to start talking about these experiences of, of practicing detached connection in order for the coupleship to just reestablish its foundation and reestablish its sense of, of safety um, that is required, you know, for for a healthy intimacy to, to start to take hold. So it made sense to me to talk about you know, how important detached connection is to practice on both sides of the street in that coupleship by kind of highlighting what can go wrong when it's not there mm-hmm. and how, how painful the experience can be. So basically the, something that I see all the time is the experience of you know, the female partner and, and the male addict, they finally realize, hey, we have serious issues here and we need to bring some help on board to address them. So they end up in our offices and we're doing this initial work of early recovery. What does it look like? What are the expectations on both sides of the street? And the partner inevitably starts talking with me about um, really trying to get their hands dirty um, inside the, the experience of the addict's recovery. Right They want to know what 's going on over there. they want to know how their urges are going or are doing how many meetings they're attending. Do they have a sponsor? what are they saying with their sponsor and on one hand, I absolutely get that right i mean it's It feels like if they get that information it 's going to make them feel kind of more in the know, more safe, less wondering, less mm-hmm. assuming mm-hmm. and that sounds kind of logical when you put it that way, but in practice. It drives everybody crazy, yeah. and it actually slows down the healing process. It's, it's hurtful for the partner to, to wonder and to be seeking all that information. It slows down the process of the addict um, as they're trying to build this, this larger support network and, and build, kind of do the baby steps as they start practicing these healthy behaviors. So that's a really typical experience that we see that where we need to start practicing this, this idea of detached connection where we're trying to kind of remove the partner from the addict's, you know, early recovery and and healing journey. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, and, you know, what you're saying sounds a lot to me like the old work of good old codependency. That's right. Of everybody kind of getting in their own lane and taking care of their own needs and their own recovery plan and executing that plan, building their own support networks and sort of staying out of each other's business. But doing all that in the name of, um, taking care of oneself again, so that we can come together as healthy adults, rather than as codependent partners.
1: Exactly right. Staying in your own lane, getting healthier as your own autonomous adult, so that these two healthier versions of yourselves can grow closer together in the coupleship. Mm-hmm. And another really common example of why this makes such great sense is, uh, you know, we we kind of put it this way: it's never the partner 's job to be the addict's sponsor mm-hmm. you know and there's really good reason for that some day down the road, yes, we want the two people to be talking about you know the addict's deep and and authentic fears, and you know somewhere down the road, we want both people to be on equal footing to be able to kind of share and and receive and be heard in these really intimate you know um, kind of vulnerable ways, but this early on in the process is just not the time for that, for a lot of reasons. And one is that the addict is just—I think of it as skill building. Mm-hmm. You know, it takes some some skill. We have to build some um, cap- capability to handle this emotional intensity of looking another person in the eye and saying, "I'm struggling today. Yeah. I'm yeah. having some thoughts that are destructive. I want to go do things that I know are going to be hurtful to me and others." Mm-hmm. Um, it's hard to acknowledge that stuff, and it's hard to own that in the presence of another person. And eventually we want the addict to be able to do that with their partner, but not early on, not when these tools are so new and they're just practicing, and not when it's so likely that the partner has some unhealed Mm -hmm. betrayal trauma. Mm -hmm. You know, that is just not the time to be turning to each other and having these conversations. The addict needs to build skill in this space, and they do that in the safety of their recovery network. They Mm -hmm. do that with their therapist. They do that with their group. They do that with their twelve-step group and their uh, their sponsor um, as they kind of earn their way into the room mm-hmm. to do it with their partner, and along the way, the partner's doing their own work.
0: Exactly, know, they're in their own lane. Yeah, that that was what I was was thinking when you were talking. Was everything you just said for the the addict to be doing? You know, the hope is that the the partner would be doing it as well. And so, you know, here the way we kind of work with couples is that we want everybody to be rowing in the same direction, and basically doing very similar work alongside each other so that people are learning those skills and tools to be able to come together and connect as healthy adults with boundaries in healthy ways, which, you know, oftentimes this is going to be the first time that people ever learn to have healthy boundaries in their relationships.
1: Yeah, and the maybe the last kind of really typical just kind of general area that I see is is on the partner side of the street and why Mm -hmm. this detached connection is such a big deal for them is because it is so very painful for them to to try to be in the addicts business Mm -hmm. as as they're doing this work. And and that's really understandable because you know I I can relate to this in my own you know we see it with our clients all the time, but I I like to just bring it back to what I know best, which is my own experience. And you know, my my you know I'm a person of long term recovery Um, so, and my wife is not, she just has not had the lived experience of of addiction. And so I know it from my own intimate partnership that it is crazy making and it is brutal to to love somebody and try to be in a relationship with someone when they are an act of addiction, because if your brain has never gone to that space, it's, it's impossible to understand. How could somebody behave this way? How could somebody act this way? And it's just human to want to project The things that are in your mind into the mind of of the people around you, especially those that you're in such close proximity with and Mm -hmm. you love so much. So that's a long way to say the partner is going to project their expectations onto the addict, and that's just a recipe for pain. It's not going to work out for them. So they need to detach. Mm -hmm. They need to stay in their lane. They need to take excellent care of themselves while the addict kind of earns the tools and the skills and the ability to kind of get back on that equal footing Mm -hmm. with them, and Mm -hmm. it's saving from a partner's perspective, practicing this detached connection is going to save them a lot of
0: pain. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really, it can be someone's lifeline, um, honestly, to, to, um, to separate from that. And so what you're really talking about, Matt is, a partnership a coupleship where both people have bought into the concept of recovery and so both people are are doing their work and so you're really saying that you know we have to separate so that we can get closer together and right. and so that's every, that's a, that's a best case scenario where both people have agreed that yes there's an issue here i've got my world to deal with you have your world to deal with and we're going to do our own work and we're we're going to come together as a coupleship as well now how about like if there's another very typical scenario that we see where the addict might not be willing to get into his or his or her own work and so does that look any different for the partner at that point?
1: Yeah, so the I mean the basics are pretty similar. We still need to detach because it's so very painful to mm-hmm. be so connected to mm-hmm. to our person but if if they're if the addict is not quite there and, mm-hmm. and maybe they're we think they're working the way over, or maybe they're just not interested at all. Yeah, you know, in entering this space, it's still the right call yeah. for the for the partner to develop you know their skills and their abilities to to detach. And it doesn't mean they need to go, you know, cold shoulder. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean they need to move out immediately. You know, we get in there and we work with our folks to understand what the details are and what plans are right for them. Mm-hmm. But generally speaking, if they stay I I use the the street language that it's yeah. my side of the street and their side of the street. Yeah. Any relationship, I'm in, there are two sides to that street, and I need to keep mine clean. Um, so that's how I talk about it with with my clients who who are partners. That um, kind of no matter where your your addict is in their recovery story, um, you need to detach from their experience. because it's right to focus on yourself. There's only one person on the planet you can control and it's not him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and because it is so you are saving yourself pain. It is so very hurtful to be, um, in this space and, and kind of have it right in your face that, that he's not doing the work he Mm -hmm. needs to do. Mm -hmm. So let's, let's focus on, on ourselves. Let's build our own support network. Let's practice our own excellent self-care behaviors. Um, so that, you know, for, for our own selves and the other relationships in our lives, there is more of us to give. Mm-hmm. And we have way more clarity, you know, if and when it comes time to make some of the difficult choices that come along with being the partner of an addict.
0: Yeah, of an addict who's not choosing recovery. then That's right. Then you have the wherewithal to be able to make the choices that you need. So, you know, instead of detached connection, that might be the old, old saying of detachment with love. That, That's right. That you're talking about with a partner who is not choosing recovery, then we're still having to learn the detachment piece to not get caught up in their, their addiction or their recovery, whatever it is. But we're really detaching, not, not even thinking about yet in terms of connecting. Cause, mm-hmm. cause it's really only healthy to even want to connect with someone who is in recovery, that's who's right. choosing recovery.
1: I think that's, it's a really wise distinction. It's detachment with love at that point. And Being able to detach, I think, gives people access to that love and that kindness Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. that acceptance of where their person is on their journey. Um, You know, because it's not about you know browbeating addicts. It's not about trying to guilt or shame anybody into doing anything. Um, But when we're able to detach, you know, we're able to access that love and that kindness a little Mm -hmm, more, and mm -hmm. it's it's healthier for everybody. Um, But yeah, this isn't about. Leaving somebody out to dry—it's about controlling what we can control, which is our own experience.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and you know, I just feel like I want to say that when when any partner is in a relationship with an addict who's not choosing recovery, um, one of the most loving things you might ever do for that person or yourself is is to. Not leave them out to drive, yeah. but you kind of are if you 're choosing yourself and you 're deciding that I need to get out of this relationship yeah. and so there 's really there 's really so many ways for partners to move through this there 's not one right way. Um, nobody can really tell anybody what to do, but it is very real that many partners do choose to leave relationships where someone 's not choosing recovery because over time, it really does become quite toxic and unhealthy to be around around addicts who are to live with addicts to be married to them if, if we 're talking about marriage uh, where someone 's not actively choosing recovery so it really is okay for partners to consider all the options, even if leaving. Is is one of them, and as awful as that might sound to people, um, when they're thinking about this, it's a very valid option for many people. It's it's part of survival.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, I'm, I'm reminded of a, of a, a story I heard recently on an, another podcast. We'll send some love to you know. I think we're in the same era as like someone like Dr. Brene Brown on her podcast as well, oh, sure. right? <laughs> we're fellow podcasters. Um, but I just recently I was hearing her tell a story about it in her, I think it was her graduate training she worked at a, a domestic violence shelter and she said, you know, it was the, the ladies who, who did leave their guy did it with, those were the most boundary people, yeah. you know, they did it with love and they said, I do love him. Yeah. Um, he's broken right now yeah. and this is the call I need to make for me and, yeah. and my child yeah. or whatever it is. I mean, yeah. sometimes it gets there yeah. and that's, that's, so we can say generally this idea of detachment and boundaries is right for everybody. But the details matter, and yeah. that's where bringing you know somebody like us and uh, you know on board to help you get in into the minutiae of it all and decide what what boundary or detached connection mm-hmm. or detachment with love looks like for you in your specific case can Absolutely.
0: be really helpful. Absolutely, I mean, it's you're right. It's so it's so different for everybody. And but what's great about this work is that um, you know I find and I know you find in your partners group that even though partners move through it differently wow they're they're so supportive of each other usually yeah. and and there's that room for people to find their own way absolutely so um then also, I wanted to mention um matt did you want did you want to say anything more about boundaryed intimacy and sort of do you want to pop into that? now?
1: Yeah, so these are, we use, I use these terms in, in kind of similar time frames when I'm working mm-hmm. with folks, mm-hmm. but they, they are they are distinct spaces that we play in. So what we've been talking about for the last few minutes is this idea of detached connection, um, which kind of flows nicely into this space of boundaried intimacy. Um, and I think it, it is kind of one kind of typically precedes the other. So boundaried intimacy is typically this experience where um, both the addict and the partner have established some, some recovery. They've been through some of this, these early stages where they're just getting their feet under them, kind of building their support networks, relearning these healthy behaviors on both of their sides, respective sides of the street. And now it's time to to relearn, or for a lot of folks, is learn for the first time. How do we engage in intimate experiences with our, our partner um, in a way that is boundaried and healthy? Because some things need to change what we were doing is what got us here in the first place so we need to learn some new some new tools and and ways to engage with each other and and that really you know kind of you know supports what we were saying earlier about how this detachment is meant to help us grow closer together Yeah, yeah so this is kind of where the growing closer together starts to come into play because now we've established that there is some safety we do have some skills Um, in ways to to live, in in boundaried ways, and now we can start to practice um, these these ideas of of boundaried intimacy.
0: Yeah, and so I like the way you're thinking about that, that um, it truly is. I mean, the way I keep thinking about it in my head is it's, it's two people coming together as healthy adults. And so when I say the word healthy adult... To me, that implies healthy boundaries. Sure. And so it's, it's, it's what you were just saying of two people that maybe had kind of very fuzzy boundaries and they were, you know, really, there was way too much, you know, movement and flexibility and people were, you know, maybe feeling anxious and uncomfortable with their boundaries and then people kind of crossing boundaries. Um, you know, once we start doing our work and we kind of can separate out and, into that detached connection place we can then again come back together as healthy adults, which is going to mean healthy boundaries for each person and then creating relationship boundaries that everybody's aware of and, and on board with.
1: Yeah, I'm reminded of that experience where it kind of seems, you know, counterintuitive where,
0: mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. you
1: know, it's it's if I'm, if I'm more flexible, if I just kind of do what I think they want me to do, then maybe that'll help us grow closer together. That's not really what's called for here. Yeah. Right? What we need is for folks to have earned that self-knowledge to know what they need, to mm-hmm. be able to claim that space, to name their boundaries and to hold them. And then that that actually makes us easier to be in relationship with. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Um, it, it's It's really about, I mean, that, again, when we're talking about healthy adult, healthy adult means that that we all know our, our needs, we know how to meet our own needs without someone else really having to come in and do that job. And so we're coming together as healthy adults. And, you know, another another thing I'd like to mention that that kind of is back to what we were talking about our last podcast is when we're teaching about or uh, we're learning how to do this boundaryed intimacy, which is really just more healthy intimacy, that's also a really good time to remember that there 's eight different types of intimacy. Mm-hmm. sex is not the only one, and so that means that you know if we thought sex was the only kind of intimacy that we could partake in with our partner well gosh we 've been forgetting about se- seven other ones that we could really be getting closer with right. and so and, and these these seven other options are going to make our sex sex experiences much much more enjoyable and healthy and deeper and so If we're going to talk about the eight different types of intimacy, I just want to mention, again, Dr. Marilyn Volker. She's a wonderful and and highly experienced and knowledgeable sex therapist in Florida. And so the eight types of intimacy are sexuality, physical, spiritual, emotional, intellectual, affectual, aesthetic, and social. And so there are so many different ways that we can connect with our partner and and to truly really have all the kinds of healthy boundaryed intimacy that we want with our partner, we really want to pay attention to all of these and, and really make all of these work for us and not stay focused solely on sex.
1: Yeah, yeah, and that's, you know, as, as you're listing off, you know, from, from sexuality all the way, you know, through down to social, you know, I, it, I can't help but notice just how fun it is. To engage in intimacy with people. I mean, it's human beings are wired for connection, yeah. right? And yeah. all these ways, it's just so enjoyable, and we all crave it, you know, from this this deep, just innate, foundational place. But we can't skip the early steps. Yeah, right. That's the part that that was driving really, you know, coming home for me as you were talking is we can't skip the foundational steps. We have to do the early work. Mm-hmm. And some of the language mm-hmm. I use, you know, like we said in the, in the first few minutes, talking about detached connection. Sometimes I tell my folks, you're in the sports news and weather phase. Like we're talking life logistics. If you have kids, it's kid stuff. But when we're in early recovery, it's we don't have the tools to go here. Now that we've earned that emotional safety, we've earned some of that healthy adult experience where we know ourselves well enough to know you know what our boundaries are and we have some practice at holding them, now we can start to dabble in this space of, mm-hmm. of other types of boundary intimacy where, I mean, let's just pick Wendy. The, the one, you know, that Dr. Volker talks about after sexuality is like physical or recreational. Well, now you know because we know what, what where our boundaries are. We can go and experience things. Go you can, play tennis. Exactly.
0: Go do things. Yeah. Do fun stuff. Go on hikes. Be, yeah.
1: Spend this time together because yeah. you know that you're safe enough, and you know that you can be present, and you know that you can be honest with each other, and you can experience that sort of closeness in that way. And and we'll go through you know all of them. You know, there's there's, there's spiritual space and intellectual space. You know, aesthetic, a social space. There are all these different dynamics of ourselves and facets of our lives where we can engage our partner in mm-hmm. intimate ways. And the beautiful part of this is it all feeds into the rest of it. Right? Yeah. The more the more bounded we are in one space, the more fulfilling it is, the more we can go into another space and, and have a satisfying experience there.
0: Yeah, and the last piece I wanted to mention was... Um, When we're talking about sex therapy or even if we're discussing betrayal trauma or that time that addicts may have where they're they're abstinent, so that means sex is really in the realm of being off the table, Um, lots of issues with sex therapy um, can really be worked through just with couples taking sex off the table for a short time and not having that pressure, but focusing on these other lovely ways of connecting. And then sex really can, for many people, just end up working out nicely. So, for instance, um, with a partner feeling betrayed from other from sex addiction or some other addiction you know he or she may not want to have sex and so sex may be off the table but if that coupleship is working on these other seven areas of bonding and and connecting then then sex is just gonna it's it's gonna work out and it's gonna it's gonna be fine and people are gonna feel safe and loved and secure and and all of these types of intimacy are just, they are so important, and they, they do all work together and strengthen each other if we're paying attention to all of them.
1: Absolutely. And, and working, you know, intentionally in these other spaces, these other, you know, um, aspects of intimacy with our partners, other than sexuality, is not about being prude, and it's not about being sex negative. Yeah. It's about cultivating more skills. It's about getting better. It's about... Living, you know, as a more healthy adult in a more boundaried way and taking those skills into, you know, our sexual Mm -hmm. intimacy space with our partners.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Not at all being sex negative here. Um, And it's really about letting each person and each couple decide what's best for them. But, um, you know, it is so important. I mean, there's a reason why a sex therapist who's one of the best in the world sees that there's eight different types of intimacy, it's because sex is not the end-all be-all to intimacy. Yeah. So I think we can all learn something from Dr. Volker um, and and definitely pay attention to her, who is, she is very sex positive. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I feel like um, we've kind of covered this. What do you think, Matt?
1: I think that's right. I think that's right. Just a quick recap, you know, um, hang in there. If you're getting messages, you know, from folks like us, or if you're even feeling kind of intuitively that, you know, you're you need to separate a little bit in order to grow closer together that's okay that's mm-hmm. oftentimes how we work we need to reestablish this sense of, of foundational safety um and honesty and an ability to be present so that that this healthy intimacy can flourish in in all sorts all different parts of our lives so sometimes we do need to separate a bit and put and detach a bit in order to grow closer together.
0: Yeah, because and then real quick what you're really talking about there when we separate out, we are we are actually creating our internal locus of control which right. which we most of us really don't have until we do the work. And that's what it takes for two healthy adults to be together. Absolutely. So all good stuff. If if you wanted to learn more about this, there are so many books out there about healthy intimacy, about how to create intimacy about detachment with love you can look at work about codependency i mean there's so many good resources out there you're even welcome to email us look us up on our website www.bullcitypsychotherapy.com and contact us and we can give you some some resources and um, lots of good stuff out there for how to how to get into our healthy adult
1: Absolutely. Find us on that website, bullcitypsychotherapy.com. We have our blog going. There's lots of good content there for you all. You can also find us at uh, many of the social media sites at at Bull City Psychotherapy. So give us a shout, give us some feedback, and all the best to you on your journeys to grow closer uh, to and, and enhance your sense of healthy intimacy with the people you love in your world. We will catch you next time.
0: Bye, everybody.